You know, I don't think I've ever sung that hymn with kind of the ex- exhortations between the verses like we had this morning there, right? That was really great. I just wanted to give you a little bit of an update as far as what's happening uh, in our church family uh, on Sunday mornings so that you can be praying for that. I know many of you are in this service for a reason, but I want to let you know what's happening in the, uh, uh, in the first service too because some parents might actually be in here too. We're doing something, kind of a soft launch for it next Sunday morning, and our high school students are going to be with us in the first service. They're actually going to sit right over where you guys are for that service, and we're going to serve them donuts as they walk out the door. You know, for me, whatever it takes, right, <laughs> to just get them, get them in here. You'll be able to identify them by all of the powdered sugar all over their face afterward. Our desire is actually to just continue to uh, uh, be a church family that worships, worships together, and during the course of the summer, I think it'll be a really great opportunity for us to be aware of that as they join us for that first service. Uh, we, I, I've loved hearing what the high school uh, team is doing, what Nate and his team are doing, to just dig into discipleship in a number of ways with small groups that are happening different parts of the week, but they're joining us. And we know this about young people. They long to be mentored. They, they don't want to necessarily hear a new set of facts. They get a lot of that. Uh, as beneficial as that is, they want to see life lived, and they want to see the way it works and how, how God actually intervenes and steps in. And so for us to be together more is beneficial for them and for us as uh, we uh, benefit from the ways that uh, they are just so anxious to follow Jesus and be a part of our family. And the other part of it is for them to uh, worship one uh, and serve one. And the team is trying to figure out opportunities for our young people to step into and serve alongside of us in a number of places around here. So here is my uh, 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 request for us as a church family. Uh, Our young people are our church, and uh, they're just not coming in. We say, well, that's great. And we don't necessarily say to them, wow, I remember you when you were this high. Uh, They're grown-ups, and they're engaged in significant things, and They're serving and leading in a number of ways. And so I'm just encouraging you as you see them in the foyer or if you go to first service, find out what their name is. And uh, let's get to know one another in that regard and enjoy that relationship as it can can develop along the way. So And pray for us and pray for them and and give them high fives for coming at 9 o'clock on the Sunday morning. I mean, that's just going to be a wondrous thing for them to be able to do that with us. And uh, this is a great step for us as a church. I actually participated in a yodel video uh, to try to help with this. I haven't seen it yet. I don't even necessarily want to press the play button on it. But if I can yodel, uh, we can figure out how to do this well together, all right? We're going to start a series this morning. And I, let's pray as we, as we step into that. God, we've experienced the joy, been reminded of our reason for joy as we've worshiped together. Now I pray that you would guide us, that you would... Stir our hearts and minds and equip us in ways that we couldn't even imagine when we walked in the door this morning to serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you see, our sermon series is From Here to Happy, and uh, what better way to start out than with a happy face, right? I mean, there's that happy face. It was actually created in 1963. Some of you remember that, don't you? Those little stickers that we put on our textbooks in school. And this, this sense of, of we should be happy people. Well, the person who produced this, he probably was pretty happy. Actually, he received royalty rights on that licensing fees 
uh, started in 63. By 1970, he was getting licensing fees of $50 million a year. I mean, would that make you happy? I mean, what a revenue stream from, from that. You know, do you think he's happy? That's actually a great question because happiness is pretty complicated. In fact, as we've looked at this whole issue and the theme of, of happy, we've discovered this, is that some people with a great deal of money actually are really, really happy. And some people with a great deal of money are really, really unhappy. You see, you can't just necessarily connect the two with each other. You can't say that if I've got money, I'm going to be happy. If I don't, I'll be unhappy. You know, we have these expressions out there, you know, money can't buy you happiness. And actually, for some people, that's not true. It can actually be a great means of happiness in a person's life because of the values that are available to them, the opportunities that are available to them. But it's not necessarily true. You see, they're not directly connected. Happiness is more complicated than that. We see it in other areas as well. There was research that came out of Germany with some over 2,000 young parents who had had kids. And the question was, has, this made, has having children made you happy? And you can actually see what the profile was on that. The average change in well-being on a scale of 0 to 10. Look at, in regards to divorce over the course of two years, saying, you know what, I have become an unhappier person. Even unhappier than unemployment or death of partner, if you can even imagine that, was the birth of a first child. You say, wow, I'm not having a kid. You know, but then you actually realize, and this was a year ago, four years ago, there was a study that was taken by uh, academics in Arizona State University, and they did a question that was similar to that, and they found out, actually, that uh, families with kids actually had increasing happiness. In fact, that's what the title of the research was, the increasing happiness of families. So that was four years ago, and this was one year ago, and you can ask a question, a lot's changed in three years, or don't have German parents. I mean, I, I, I don't know how that one works out. But you realize just how complicated happiness is, how hard it is to grasp or to have a prescription for it. It is a challenging aspiration. Happiness is actually measured because it's valued throughout the world. There's something called the World Happiness Report. It's been put together by Columbia University, and the United Nations actually uses the World Happiness Report to make plans and set goals internationally. And the World Happiness Report isn't necessarily very kind or encouraging to us in the United States. In fact, we actually rank pretty low. I think we actually rank lower than Nigeria. Isn't that interesting? But there's a sense of who has it and how do you get it, and an understanding that it's really important to have it. In fact, there's some major companies in the Silicon Valley area in particular that have added a new seat to their, seat to their list of C-suites. Not only do they have CEOs and CFOs and CIOs, there are now some companies that have CHOs, Chief Happiness Officers. No kidding. And the reason for this is that they see that there's a discernible difference between happy employees and unhappy ones. In fact, in 2010, one of those CEOs in the Silicon Valley actually wrote a book that became a New York Times bestseller, and it's called Delivering Happiness. Maybe some of you read it. And this, the, the theme of it is this, is that 
Happy people are beneficial to the bottom line of an organization and a business. Now, you can imagine the articles that go back and forth on that one. I feel like it was manipulative. You're trying to you know, induce more work out of me, all of that. But this is what they've learned. Actually, if you're essentially a happy person, you're a more productive person. Who wouldn't be surprised by that, right? And then there are other things that they learn about people who are happy. happy act- happiness actually contributes to longevity of life. And there, there's actually, actually statistical research on this. People who are generally happy have a tendency to live longer. And not only in regards to longevity of life, but in regards to quality of life. This really isn't a surprise, but there are studies on it that happiness leads to a quality of life. Do you know when Happy Birthday to You was written? 1926. Right in the middle of the Great Depression. We want to make sure that there's one day, son, daughter, that's happy for you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. You see, that sense of quality of life is something that we embrace and see the value of it. Another value of being happy, frankly, is that happiness makes us happy. <laughs> I mean, right? Who doesn't want that? Happiness makes us happy. And it is uh, other, other people who have noticed, even for Christians, Dallas Willard has said this, that the person who is basically happy in their life is less prone to be characterized by sinfulness. I mean, if I'm happy, I'm probably not going to do stuff that hurts me or hurts other people. There's actually a benefit to being happy even for those of us in our Christian life. But that does lead to the question that perhaps you're asking already, is it, Something that Christians even should give attention to, right? I mean, be, be frank with me. You saw the title of this sermon series, right? From here to happiness, and you said, here comes a lightweight sermon series, right? I mean, this is just kind of some self-help stuff that Mark is going to feed us. So what's he trying to do with this? You thought that, didn't you? So you're asking the question, is there any correlation between the value of happiness and what we actually should be talking about here on a Sunday morning? And uh, actually, I had a seminary professor in, in uh, ministry who said to us as uh, aspiring preachers, when you are preaching God's word, make sure you never tell jokes. You know, there's just kind of this sense, right? Some of you remember those days. If you tell jokes, you're not serious about what it is that you're saying. So don't do that. No kidding. That's what they were actually teaching. That's what they were actually saying. So is, is happiness something we should even be talking about? Well, I did a little bit of kind of not necessarily deep theological research this week. You know what I found out? I looked for the words in the Bible that were words around the English uh, words for to obey or to observe. And those words appear in all of Scripture just a little over 300 times. Now, that's no surprise, isn't it? Well, over 300 times, God talks about the importance of obedience and observing his commandments. Do you know how many times the words for joy and happiness and gladness appear? Now, last uh, two weeks ago, I asked a question. You thought it was a trick question. It was that question, remember, where does the ambassador to China live? And you were always just kind of tight-lipped because it's a trick question. It's a trick question. Well, this isn't a trick question either. You can figure this out. Do you think that the words for 
happiness, joy, and gladness appear more in the Bible or less in the Bible than obedience and obey. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Actually, substantially more. That number is in the mid-400s. Isn't it interesting? You pick up this book and you say, I know what it's going to say. It's going to say what I ought to do. You know, it actually spends more time talking to us about his longing for us to be characterized by joy and gladness and delight. So is this something we should be talking about? Absolutely, because God talks about it. So is it spiritual for us to be having this conversation? Absolutely. We're going to dig into that, start it this morning, and walk into uh, uh, more of what the Bible teaches about this over the weeks to come. But the other question that uh, we must ask before we go on to this is, is happiness possible? And by that, I don't mean kind of theoretically possible. The question you want to know the answer, is it possible for me, right? I mean, which one of us has ever said, I'm going to resolve to be a less happy person? Who wants to be happy? And is it possible for me? What do you think? Is it possible for you in your life to experience more joy and delight and gladness than you do right now? Where are you? We can even pull out the World Happiness Index if you want to. And there's this latter question Gallup International uses in the survey. And the latter is this. There are these options from 0 to 10. And the people who pick 10 are saying, this is the best life I could imagine. And the 0 is, this is the worst life I could imagine. And where are you right now? 0 is, this is the worst life I could imagine. And 10 is, this is the best life I could imagine. What's true for you right now? And now you have your baseline. Now you know where you are. Anybody want to bump it up a little? God actually wants it for us, the Last question I'll ask before we get into this is, how badly do you want to bump it up? What would you give? What would you do to be in a place filled with more gladness than where you are right now? And before we walk out of here this morning, that's something I hope you decide. So we're going to walk into this and take some time to learn what Scripture has to say on this. And I'd encourage you to pull out the sermon notes part and just even to catalog your answer to that question and perhaps other things that might come to mind for you as we walk ourselves through this. But our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 11. The word happy doesn't appear in that, but as you hear the language of the text, you'll realize it's exactly what he's talking about. You have this on the cover of your Connect, and the text is right up here in front of us. This is actually Eugene Peterson's translation from the message of these three verses. And 
I thought it would be particularly helpful for us, perhaps because it surprises us. There are words and language that we haven't necessarily heard before. This is what God's word says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. (laughs) I mean, what a wonderful invitation Jesus is giving us here. I want to make three observations that I hope will guide your study and examination and reflection during the course of this week. The first is this. God wants you to experience happiness. God wants you to experience happiness. You'll notice on this, it doesn't say, are you tired, worn out, so get used to it? No, that isn't what he says. He doesn't say, get used to it, keep your chin up, go ahead and press into your weary life. It's your life, live it. He says, no, he says, come to me. Because this is not what God wants for you. This is not what God wants for us. Not to be tired and worn down and to live a heavy, uh, 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 difficult life. The burned out on religion part of it isn't necessarily a, you know, stay away from Christianity. It's stay away from the stuff in our life that we pursue with our whole heart and all of our resources and strength. And they're really idols to us. God calls them idols because they can't bear the weight of our expectations for them. It's like a religion for us. You know, it could be a team. It could be an income level. It could be a characteristic of a job. It could be parenthood. I want to be the best parent in the world. And it actually drives us and consumes us along the way. That can be religion. That kind of religion can wear you out. And we know it, don't we? Because we've pursued that stuff and come up empty or at least worn out by it. And Jesus is talking to us about an invitation into a spiritual life. And by spiritual, he doesn't mean just kind of a a sense of spiritual value. When the Bible talks about spiritual life, he's actually talking about the occupation of a life by a person, the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual life when we read God's Word. It's not just that you think religious thoughts. It's that your life is occupied by the presence of the living God in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the invitation to have that kind of a life. And the result of that is that we can experience happiness. In the Old Testament, the language there was uh, the language Hebrew And there are two primary words for happiness and joy in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, there are two primary words in the Greek for happiness and joy and gladness. And the reality of it is that the word in the Old Testament, the one of the word actually conveys the tone of bliss. (laughs) He actually wants you to experience bliss. Okay, this is in the Bible. He wants you to be characterized by occasions where you experience bliss bliss in your life. Moments of great happiness are meant to characterize your life. And in these two primary words, there's a sense of multidimensional joy that he wants for us. 
So translators have taken those two words in the Hebrew and those two words in the Greek, and they have put English words around them. And they use a variety of them because the context is slightly different. It has a different meaning or tone in each of them. But when you collect those words in the English, these are some of the words that are used in your Bible and in mine. Rejoice, gladness, delighted, pleased, overjoyed, full of joy, merrymakers, celebration, cheer, happy, Glee, take great delight, joyful songs, enjoyment, elation. (laughs) That's what God wants us to experience. He wants that actually to be a normal part of our life. Notice here, it's not simply the joy of heaven. Well, I grew up with this. Are you happy as a Christian? Yeah. I'm happy because I'm going to heaven. You know, there's joy way down deep. You might not see it on the exterior, but it's, it's down deep in here. I can, I can call it up if I need to. I mean, I, I kind of grew up with that. The kind of joy that is described here is joy that it spills out. Not just because I know I'm going to heaven. It's because I'm living a life that God gives it to me. If happiness, if head happiness, the stuff I know in my head, if head happiness doesn't lead to heart happiness, then something's broken. If head happiness for me doesn't lead to heart happiness, there is something wrong. So let's look at what that's like. Calling here is to live freely, and lightly. And so we can actually take that ladder out that Gallup International uses, and we can actually uh, characterize it on the top by living freely and lightly. Just a sense of joy and lightheartedness. That's, that's the 10. And the zero is to live heavy hearted and overwhelmed and burdened. So you can take it out again and say, what do you, what do you want in? Where do you want to be? God, God wants you to experience happiness. The second aspect of this is that your experience of happiness is tied actually to a journey of purpose. Experience of happiness is tied to a journey of purpose. And you can see the movement in this actually, can't you? Walk with me, he says. This journey towards recovering your life. There's actually movement in happiness. The kind of happiness that God talks about doesn't happen when we sit on a barca lounger and just just try to be as happy as we can. It's actually a journey that takes place. In fact, one of those Hebrew words has that actually loaded into it. The term for happiness is a term for happiness that means a person experiences deep happiness and does something. A person sets their life in motion and they experience joy. That's how God describes what happiness looks like. I set my life in motion. Happiness isn't found in the recliner in your living room. To find happiness is, is almost it. Actually, the result is this. It's, it, it, it's to find significant purpose. In Time Magazine, back in, I think it was 2013, there was a cover article, in fact. There you can see the cover of The Pursuit of Happiness, and there were... 
number of articles in that, in that volume, in that issue. And in it, they were just describing what happiness is like. And you can get the kind of the journey sense of this, even in what these social scientists are saying. In this article, they said this, all human beings may come equipped with the pursuit of happiness impulse, the urge to find lusher land just over the hill, fatter buffalo in the next valley. But it's Americans who have codified the idea, written it into the Declaration of Independence, and made it a central mandate of their national character. American happiness would never be about savor-the-moment contentment. Our happiness would be bred of an almost adolescent restlessness and itch for the next big thing. The terms of the deal the founders offered are not easy. There's no guarantee that we will actually achieve happiness, but we can go after it in almost any way we choose. All by itself, that freedom ought to bring us joy, but the more cramped, distracted, maddeningly kinetic nature of the modern world has made it harder than ever. Somehow there must be a way to thread the needle to reconcile the contradictions between our pioneer impulses and our contemporary selves. But you get this idea of there's a, it's a journey involved, and it's, it's movement in a life that actually leads us to those places. We've tried the other stuff, and you can pull out the numbers. In this issue, it talks about the numbers, uh, the, uh, the dollars that we have spent in what can be described as consumptive happiness. I mean, listen to these statistics. In 2012, we spent $118 billion on travel abroad. We spent close to $25 billion per year in attending sports events. We combined with Canada nearly $11 billion on movie tickets. We buy ourselves an annual $140 billion worth of recreational equipment and $200 billion worth of electronics. Now, I got a really nice TV in my house, and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. At some point in time, it moves from, boy, it'd be nice to have that to, oh, I hope it makes me happy because that's what I want. You get this idea that we have this quest for happiness that can become sumptive happiness when the reality of happiness is actually found closer to the Hebrew word for it that is actually a life in motion. And in this passage, it talks to us about that life in motion looks like. And it's not a life in motion towards happiness, but it's a life in motion towards him and towards the meaning that comes from him. In fact, Viktor Frankl, in his book, The, the uh, Search for Meaning, In Search of Meaning, maybe you read that when you were in, in college or in high school, but just this astounding book of a person who went through the death camps in World War II and realized that people have to have a why in their life, some sort of a meaning in order to endure it. And Frankl said this, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. It's the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Meaning comes from the pursuit of more complex things than happiness itself. In fact, happiness cannot be pursued. A life that results in it can. Happiness can't be pursued but a life that results in it can. And that brings us to this third observation from this text. It's not only God wants us to experience happiness and that it's a journey we make, a life lived with values and purposes that, that have significance and value to them, but the third reality here is this. Your happiness will be found in his harness. My happiness will be found in in his harness. 
In most of your translations, the words Jesus describes here is take my yoke on me. That sense of to be put in the harness and let him lead. To actually live there and let him be the one that guides my life, directs my turns, my starts, my stops, my path forward. To actually put my life in his harness. Is that tough? Yeah. I mean, you can even see it. He reassures him. He says, I want you to know, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but it will be me in the lead. I, be, I will be the one that occupies your life and directs your life along the way. This is our vision statement, is it? To bring every person to life in Christ. For him to be the one that is the lead in our life. When an unhappy person pursues happy, more often than not, they end up with less happy. When an unhappy person pursues happy, more often than not, they end up with less happy. You know, it's that sense of, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to finally speak my mind. Or I'm going I'm to focus on myself. Nobody's been paying attention to me. I'm going to finally pay attention to me. Or I'm going to buy some more stuff or find another stimulant or whatever it is. And we know, don't we, that that just leads to less happiness along the way. And we see people that are on that journey, just, I've got to be happy, I've got to be happy. And it's not that they're bad people, it's just a bad decision. It's a bad plan. And here's the plan. Here's the invitation that Jesus has for you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Walk with me. Let me lead your life. Come to me, he says. It's discipleship. My, my belief is that in a group this size, filled with all of us here in this room, there are some people in this room that would say, you know what? Uh, I'm not there yet. A life of surrender to Jesus to live in his harness and to trust him with my life is just not true for me. It is so easy, particularly in our society and place like this for us to just say, you know what, the whole spiritual thing is a part of my life. You know, it's a value to me. And you might even be here this morning, you would say, it, it's a value. I mean, I got, I got several things that really matter a lot to me. My family matters to me. The royals matter to me, the, you know. I mean, really, I mean, we've got a list of stuff that we really, we really devoted to. And it's so possible for you to have on that list church or faith as a part of the list. And I, I need you to know, and these are not my words, these are his words, that will not work. He says, I will be the one that leads and directs your life. I can be the only one that leads and directs your life. I'm not calling you to being a spiritual person, just kind of interested in religious stuff. I'm calling you to live in my harness, to give your life absolutely to me. Not to be occupied by religious impulses, but to be occupied by the presence of a person in your life that actually leads and that rules.
That is the means God gives us to lead the life he offers to us. He doesn't have any other plan. He says, that's the way it will go. You might say, you know, I'm here because it's important to my parents. I'm here because my wife wants me to be here. And good for you. I, I don't say that uh, facetiously. I think that's great. I'll tell you that it will never be enough. It will never be enough. God says, I want you here in my harvest because I want you glad and delighted and full of joy. I want you to have those experiences. That's what I want for you. So we get to this point where we come to my next step on here. I'm going to suggest a couple to you as we, as we uh, conclude. You know, one might be to spend some time with your small group talking about this stuff. Maybe you pull out your ladders and you just identify those things and, and you pray for them in that regard. Another possibility might be that you actually take this text that we looked at this morning. We'll, we'll go back to it and just commit it to memory so that it, you just kind of you build it in and you spend some time with the Lord on your way back and forth to work or whatever it is that you do. And you commit it to memory. You think about where, where is my life right now? Third thing is to just dig down deep into this. Come back next Sunday and, and dig into this as we, as we work through this together. But there's another part of it that I want to make sure that you don't miss, and it's this. Um, there, there are, I'm sure, some people would say, you know what, this life of discipleship that Jesus is calling me to, I'm not there. Uh, and it must be the next step. It is the essential step for us to make, to have our lives occupied by the Spirit of the living God. And it must occur for us to experience what it is that God wants for us. I wonder, is there anybody in this room this morning who would say, you know what, I'm here because I like the spiritual stuff. I've never given the Spirit. I've never given the Spirit of the living God control of my life. And on your next step, I'd like you to just mark that down for yourself. I would love for you to mark down on the car that you tear off and just let me, I would love to know that this morning that's a decision you made to turn your life around and live a place where you never imagined you would or perhaps thought you were but really weren't. And I would love to know that. I, would know, I know your friends would love to know it. I will just promise you this. It is not a private thing um, because this thing that God does in our life, it just changes our life and people will know about it. So we're going to celebrate it and we're going to come alongside of you and do whatever we can to help you in this journey into a life that is characterized by gladness and delight and joy. So as we wrap this up and we spend time worshiping, and you consider what it is your next step is, just invite you to also tear off that card and let us know how we can celebrate what God has done in your life this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you want this for us. And thank you for a church family, a community that is filled with people that have experienced this for years and those who hope that it's true. God, I pray that you would speak to all of us what you want to say, that we would leave this place on a journey towards something 
we could never have imagined before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.